Mahon Bukel. David D, everybody. Oh, I'll take off the jumper for this, Mark. <laughs> Call the Gansey. The Gansey. Um, thanks, Mark. Um, hi, everybody. Um, I remember, um, I can't remember who it was, but they were asked who they were. And I remember, I always remember it was, I am that I am who I am. I like that. And uh, my good friend, Roger, who is in Akron, Ohio. And he's in Ground Central. And he he likes to introduce himself. I'm a person in recovery. So um, today is really special for me, like 25 years sober. And uh, it's great that I can celebrate it with my AA family because uh, I walked into a, a, an AA room with... Um, you know, into a meeting um, because I had, I had reached the end of the road inside myself. There was no place for me to go after my last drink. And uh, I went to my doctor and I told him I was in serious trouble. And he gave me two days Librium and I went home and then he put me in contact with an addiction counselling centre I went up there, but in the meantime, I walked into an AA meeting, and Martina, the only person I who I thought I knew would be in AA, she was the first person I saw when I opened the door. She says, "Hi, Dave. You're welcome. We were wondering when you'd get here," and I I thought like, "What does she mean? Had they got me on a list?" <laughs> and uh, it was like. The first time AA started messing with my head. And when I got in very quickly, I, you know, I identified as being an alcoholic uh, because it was right there beside me. And over the years, I always identified with being a hot, an alcoholic. Where now I'm kind of, I'm looking at, yeah, I'm, I'm you see, those first few years, the alcoholism was just there behind me. It was so close. I was moving away from it. And AA gave me the ground to stand on that I could do that. But like I see now what I'm moving towards always is transformation. And that's what recovery does for me. It allows me to be transformed and to transform myself. And um, today is bittersweet for me. Um, it's sweet because when I walked into my first AA meeting, I never imagined I'd be 25 years from now. Today, this is where I'd be. And I'm really sad that I don't have my wife, Nikki, with me. Nikki died um, last June and it's just, I've broken my heart. And I'm so sad and uh, if you know if there was anything and everything I had that I could give to have her here beside me now um, but it's not possible she's in here in my heart um, I don't really know what to, I'm going to say tonight I, I didn't you know I didn't write to sit down and plan anything 
what's what's the secret um in that that little um, drawing you did for me mark um with the tree and the triangle you know the I, I've mentioned that several times before in meetings about um, the service, unity, and recovery. And um, that tree, uh, my surname is Donlin, and the my my family crest has an oak tree um, without any foreground. So you have the, the the branches, the trunk, and the roots, and what seems to be a dark person chained to the tree. But if you look at it very closely, there's no lock on the chain. It's a passive chaining. And in the, in Irish mythology, the oak tree was all a symbol of knowledge. And it's like my, my family, that, that crest is recogni recognizing that we're seekers of knowledge. Um, and of course, the oak is really important in, in Irish folklore. And, you know, there's um, an Andira, Derry, it's, it's called after the oak tree. There's, you know, it, so that, 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 seemed, that, that, was, that was lovely to see the tree. And um, my recovery, uh, how, how, well, what did I do? And I call this, I, I suppose I recognized best practice from the very beginning. Um, and the things I do regularly is I go to meetings, I involved in service, and I try and do my best, to be honest, with myself and with the world around me. And today was just a very ordinary day. I... I you know, this is a day beyond my wildest dreams because I got to work in the morning. I went shopping in the afternoon. I had uh, my first grief counselling therapy today. And then I managed to cook myself a lovely chicken stir fry um, with noodles. And I've also cooked tomorrow's dinner because I'm working, you know, it's a similar thing tomorrow. I'm, I'm working tomorrow, so I thought, yeah, I'll do a nice black bean and vegetable curry. And I'm at a meeting, and I'm going to get, an, you know, unusual, I'm going to get another meeting after this. And that's it. That's a, that's a day. That's a life beyond my wildest dreams. No drama, no hiccups. I was, um, while I was cooking and eating my dinner, I was listening to Miles Davies, you know, having a little bop in the kitchen. Like, I, you know, I'm a legend in my own kitchen. <laughs> um, and it was just so, you know, my, I, I, with my natural family, this, this, this couldn't be celebrated. They wouldn't be able for it. Where with my A family, it is the case. I, I, I can celebrate. And... Um, My life has changed unbelievably. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm soon, the scales is going to be tipping quite soon in that I'll be longer sober than when I was, than drinking. 
another two years, I'll, I'll be at that point where I'll have longer sobriety than my drinking life. And, um, you know, I, I was alcoholic at 13. I got drunk when I was younger, actually. Um, and I was using, I started using drugs about 15. And that stopped at 39. And at 39, I'd lost everything, you know. I'd lost my first marriage, lost my home, lost my job, lost... I was actually in the process of losing my sanity because I wanted the psychiatric services to take me in. I thought it would be a good idea because I knew uh, I used to work in a hospital in the psychiatric, so I said, they've got great drugs. They knock people out, you know. Uh, I, I, I get to do the soft shoe shuffle um, and kind of... Uh, and then I started thinking about, nah, none of this is worth it. I, I think I could just maybe end my life. There's nothing worth living for. And um, after my last binge, I was just so full of this awful feeling towards myself, of feeling an utter failure, an utter fuck-up. And all the excuses I used to have, mostly which was pointing away from myself, blaming my life, blaming other people, blaming my family, you know. Here was a poor, at the time it was my wife and then became my ex-wife, blaming her. Like here was a woman at home with two kids and I was out drinking and drugging. And she, she'd ask, you know, she'd want to know where I was and was I coming home? And I was blaming her. And the last drink, the last drunk, was the time I ran out of being able to blame anybody or anything. And I, first time ever, I took the mirror and I turned it around and I looked at myself. And I thought, Jesus, I'm in trouble here. And... Um, it was the first little, you know, like Leonard Cohen said, the light got into the crack and it started to illuminate some of those dark areas. And my doctor was the first person because I, I considered it a medical issue. And my doctor, um, I, got, I, I got honest with my doctor. And interestingly, what he, he he gave me two days of Librium. He gave me drugs <laughs> to go home so I could calm down after my drinking. You know, kind of calm. He says, "You after two days, come back to me and we'll have another chat." And I says, "My my 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 friend Brian, because um, he's just sent me something this morning. You know that it was um, nine thousand one hundred and thirty-one days sober." But the interesting one was 920,404,800 heartbeats of sober. And like every one of those heartbeats is precious. And when I came into AA, I remember, you know, it was meeting Martina, getting a cup of tea, and very quickly feeling, Jesus, these people are, are talking. I, I can understand this. Uh, I know this one. Does this make sense? Um, 
And then after a while, you know, I managed to lift my head up and uh, I heard people talking about the steps and I started looking at these charts on the wall and I went, oh, fucking hell. Look, there's all this God and higher power fucking shit. What am I walking into? And uh, lucky enough, I met somebody, I met two good there were guides I met one man he said look Dave don't worry about it think of think of all that as just a force for good and then I met somebody else Aiden who um, became he actually became because Aiden like myself being cross addicted he was in NA as well but I hadn't gone to NA at this stage and he said to me about he said don't worry about it, Dave. Actually, take take the steps off the wall. Forget about them up on the wall and bring them into your heart. And it kind of made sense. Oh, so this is a heart-based program. This, this has to do with the heart. And then I heard the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. I went, that connects. Desire comes from the heart. This is my heart wanting me to change my life, wanting to live rather than this slow death I was going through and you know contemplating a quick death contemplating checking out in despair um, I thought yeah yeah this this is but how do I deal with the God thing and I thought well really you know there's no game in town I, I, I was going to this um, day, really, uh, day program for about six weeks and, uh, you know, the, the counsellors were saying and people were saying, you know, you, you can stay sober for a while, Dave, you know, and there's going to be aftercare. But long term, you really need to be going to AA. And I kind of, I made that commitment. I made the commitment from the get go. I was going to take this seriously as best as I could. Because I realize now that my life depended on it. But I, I also, it was coming from my heart. It was coming from, you know. I, I remember sitting at, a, at the end of a bar stool or in a party wanting a drink or a drug and, and not having, the, you know, this insatiable hunger to consume more. And I'd get to a point in that consumption where I would pass out if I was looking. I just had this awful capacity for taking huge amounts of drink and drugs. To run away from myself and to run away from the pain I was feeling about me and about my life. And now I was in AA and I was beginning to feel Good, because I was sober. I, I wasn't creating any more chaos. That felt good by itself. I still didn't feel good about myself, you know. I discovered I, I, my very low opinion of myself just didn't vanish. But at least being sober, I was given an opportunity where I could begin to get an idea of who I was. And of course... Being quite an empty vessel, one of the uh, one of the addiction counselors, they were Jack and Joe. I used to call them Jack and Jill. They were like hard cop, soft cop. They were a great double act. 
And Jack said to me, you know, Dave, you've got a, a good mind. Um, you should consider, you know, going to college for yourself. And so within a year in recovery, I was signed up for a, a, a nighttime pre-university course. And, uh, you know, I, I remember I used to say, yes, I, I went off to university because I saw God on, on, on the... Um, on the 12 steps and I needed to figure out all about this God. So the best place for me to do it was university. But the truth of the matter was that um, in Ireland, I was happy, I was looking, really lucky, that not alone did I get my fees paid for, the state actually gave me some living money to live on. So I got paid to do a degree. And of course, you know, early recovery, I milked this for all it was worth. So rather than doing three years, I did five years BA international degree. I did my pre-university, my first year. Halfway through first year, I was so riddled with fear and perfectionism, I pulled out. I had this irrational fear of doing exams. I pulled out, fell off the horse, got back up, because again, there was no other game in town for me. I always ran away. This was something I'm not running away. I'm going to face my fears. I really detested being examined. And I went back and changed all my subjects, did a second first year, and then did a second year. And then there was an open competition for two places for two students in Boston College in Massachusetts. I didn't know anything about Boston College in Massachusetts, but it sounded good. So I applied, and to make a long story short, as we say here, I was one of the students picked to go to Boston College. And uh, from an academic perspective, it was like academic heaven. But then the university came back to me, and they, you know, I told them that the only reason I was going to Boston was that there was no place in Europe that would teach my subjects through English, and I was doing classics and philosophy because this was the root, the foundation, Western civilization, the Greeks and the Romans. And I always had a thing about the, you know, the Romans, the, the Roman army, and um, the Greeks. What was his name? Um, he did the animation of Jason and the Argonauts. Um, I remember that movie. It was the nineteen seventies, sixties. Fascinated by it. so that's why I wanted to do classics. And they said, okay, Dave, um, we'll get back to you on that. And they said, oh, yeah, just before I signed up to go up to Boston, we would like to send some students to Malta. And, of course, Malta, you know, is you know, a lot of um, classical temples and architecture, and Malta's in the Mediterranean. And December in the Mediterranean is quite pleasant. December in Boston is a bit cold. And uh, my head wanted to go to Boston, but my heart wanted to go to the Med, go to Malta. So that's, I followed my heart. That's what brought me into AA. It hasn't done me any harm. So I went off to Malta for a year. And uh, so what was happening in my, in, in, by staying sober, suddenly I was getting all these choices. I, I was even allowed in a way, to, to fail, that's what I was doing. 
because I was self-sabotaging. I didn't know any different. I was either I had to be perfect or I had to be the bottom. And it was a hard journey for me to learn to be somewhere in the middle. And uh, I'm a doff to Malta. I got help in the university and I'm a doff to Malta. And then I came back to do my degree. So that was like five years. And um, for the first time ever, I thought, I'm going to go and put the effort in to be the best. And, uh, you know, if anybody, you know, I don't know if you would remember this, Mark, but uh, 60s education in Ireland was absolutely brutal. It was there was huge amounts of physical violence. And I don't know, was it in your time? But uh, my experience of education was horrendous. And now I was becoming self-directed. And this was running parallel with what was happening in my recovery. And that uh, I was working with Aidan. I got, he became not alone my NA sponsor, but he came out my housemate and my buddy. And um, I got a handle on the whole notion of addiction. It wasn't just alcoholism, it was addiction. I had to deal with. And that happened like I was maybe three, four months in, in AA and I went back smoking dope. Still going to AA meetings, rationalised the way that, you know, it was alcohol that was the problem. You know, what the heck? You know, it's a bit of dope is no harm. But I, I, I soon copped on I went in a couple of months of that and it was, just wasn't working. So again, I went back to my addiction counsellor. Again, I got real and I got honest. And uh, he put me on a, you know, a couple of, it was a couple of months I was on anti-booze and told me I had to come, you know, within 24-hour notice, I had to come up and provide urine samples just to prove that I wasn't. And I took that seriously. Because now I had, you know, and I, I, by the time I'm, I'm finished my degree, I got what it was I was looking for. I put in the work. And for the first time ever in my educational life, I get a prize. I get the highest marks. I get a double first in philosophy and classics. And I get not alone a, a, this kind of plaque and, and there was a, something else. They also get me a prize. I love getting money prizes. I love getting paid. They, so they give me money for being good. Imagine that. The state gave me money to be educated at a third level. They paid for my degree and then they gave me money for doing good. I thought, you know, people might criticise the Irish state, but in some ways it's way ahead. And then I, uh, I went ahead and I did a postgraduate work. And I did a master's and I was on my way to doing a PhD and tragedy strikes my life and the life of my family that my eldest son, Luke, died at 24 from a drug overdose. And uh, his girlfriend was pregnant at the time and my darling granddaughters were born. They're now 15. And, um, you know, at Luke's wake, all his friends were up there and there was a lot of drinking drugs and one of the young lads handed me a, a bottle and said, hey, would you like a drink, Dave? And I said, no, thanks. I'm not drinking. And they said, what? 
You're not drinking for your son's funeral. I said, no. Not, not alone am I not drinking, I don't want to drink. So before I knew, this was like, I'm now a decade in. I'm now 10 years in recovery. I've accomplished all this and here this big tragedy the worst nightmare of any period. And uh, what did I do? The, you know, I, I went to the house. It was one of the first there. My son was dead on the floor and I hold him and cradle him. And uh, he was already dead for a while and still warm. And, you know, what do I do? And the talk came into my head, you go to a meeting, Dave. That's the only thing you can do. Because anything else is, you know, if, if I picked up a drink or a drug, what would result would be not, would be absolute mayhem. A, a part of me wanted to take a photograph in that house of the guys who sold him the heroin. They thought, I, 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 I'll sort these lads out. And I know people who will sort these lads out. Nobody's getting out of this house without paying a cost for my son's death. And I had to deed that, you know, as my son was laying and I laid out on the floor and, the, you know, the paramedics had left and the police and detectives were there. This was thoughts running through my head. And, um, you know, sometimes the slogans work and sometimes they don't. But I remember think, 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 and I'll, Jesus, think, think this through now, Dave. If, if you go through with this, what's going to happen? So what I ended up doing was I went to, I left the house, went across the road and bought a packet of cigarettes. I hadn't smoked nicotine in a long, long, in a couple of years. And it, I went back smoking nicotine. And it was like, I still hadn't fully learned that the cigarette now was a way I could punish myself. And I think it was about another six years before I could fully quit the nicotine again. So that was a bit of self-harming. And uh, I didn't take the photograph of the lads in the house and I didn't make the And I actually got in, I, I actually was told, I was told, Dave, you just put the names on a piece of paper, you have nothing to worry about, this will be sorted for you. And I, I, I had, to, had to tell people, no, I, I don't want anything sorted. I don't want anything done. In fact, it's the complete opposite because Luke's mum, my ex-wife, her such a compassionate woman, thought all those guys in that house needed help. They, they didn't need what I was thought would be a response. And um, of course, then Kayla and Kelsey were born and they were they, they came into our lives and Nikki and I had them every weekend and they were pure joy. And, and um, you know, recently it was their birthday. November, it was 15, was their birthday. And I always came, I was always there for the birthday and I always brought them out and bought them stuff, clothes or whatever, usually clothes now, the last couple of years. And I they were putting on these items of clothing, which were like Band-Aids, you know. And I and said something, I go, is your mother going to let you wear that? And you know, Kayla kind of looked at me and go, Granddad, Listen, you've nothing to worry about. Just bring your credit card and we'll do the rest. And I thought, fair enough. So, like, I was showing my age. So, like, 
Here they are, young women. And, um, but I, you know, after Luke was, that's where I went. I, I, I you know, yes, I had to get outside help, and, and but I kept close to AA. I kept close to my heart. And um, my life changed. The direction of my life utterly changed. I, I didn't go back to finish my PhD. I managed to knock another five years out of university. I was tutoring there and, and, and working. And, um, you know, my, you know, I, I met Nikki just before Luke died. Uh, that was 16 years ago. And our relationship developed. And, uh, I was applying for another job within the university. Nikki and I, had, we'd gone off to Australia for a year and we were in Spain for a while. And, uh, you know, I was applying for another job within the university. She said, you know, Dave, I'd love if you would come and help me look after my dad because her mom had died the year before. We were in Australia and planning to go back there to stay. And uh, she said, I wouldn't... Um, I'd never forgive myself if anything happened to my dad. I want to be able to look after him. So I said, okay, I'll go with you. So we up sticks, left here, left the west of Ireland, off to England. And um, our lives take another turn. And, you know, I, I keep getting closer. I keep falling in love with this wonderful woman. And eventually I got up the courage to ask her to marry me. <laughs> and uh, she agreed. And we got married just after COVID. And, um, you know, our plans was that, you know, our future was we were heading off to New Zealand because Nikki had a New Zealand passport. And now being her spouse, I could apply for a, a status. That's where we were heading. And uh, um, Nikki went for a hysterectomy and the surgeon discovered the bowel tumour. And... Um, It didn't, the, the chemotherapy didn't work, the treatment didn't work. So after three months, the cancer had spread, the, the metastasis had spread to the rest of her body and her brain. So decided no more, ter no more intervention. And uh, the surgeon told us I had six months. That was Christmas last year. And Nikki, Nikki died on the 8th of May. And all that time, uh, I stopped working. I was with her the whole time. Walked with her the whole way, right up, and I held her hand when she took her last breath. And that woman never saw me drink or drug. And um, she loved me. And I learned from her love that I could begin to love myself. And that's the journey of my recovery. It's about self-love and self-compassion. I had to create, I had to create something in order to love it. It was already there, but I'd lost sight of it. But now as an adult, I needed to create. And I, in early recovery, I, that's what I was. I was a student and then I was a tutor and then I was an admin. So I had all these identifiers. This is what I was, but really... The biggest one was that I was loved by this wonderful woman. That's what mattered the most. 
And um, she loved me when I couldn't love myself fully. And she, I respect, you know, it was wonderful. Like sometimes Nikki would just turn to me and say, Dave, when was the last time you had a meeting? And I go, fuck, I'm behaving like a bollocks, am I? And she says, no, no, just wondering, just wondering, like, and I know it was her way of saying, go off and get yourself sorted out, will you? Go to a meeting. <laughs> um, and she said it's so lovely and so so gentle. And um, it is uh, things things changed uh, after uh, with, with her dying, particularly towards the end and after her death. I had to leave uh, the house at the family home. Things became very difficult. And because I hadn't been at work for nine months, the company let me go. So I kind of, I lost my wife. I lost my home. I lost my job. Um, and lucky enough, some friends took me in, in, in the village. Uh, lovely family. And their three kids, and they're again the children. Children like the youngest lad. There was two in the bit. There was a huge garden, a huge house, and you know, um, it, within a traditions, it's you know to be self-supporting, fully self-supporting. So no money was being asked of me. You know, I, I could. I was. I was offered. I was given what I what I needed, which was a loving household that I could hold myself in that could hold me after losing Nikki. And um, what the youngest lad, uh, we, we became buddies. And I used to go out into that, you know, to return the kindness given to me. I did work for my friends. I looked after their garden and there was a big gardening project. And the youngest boy, Arlo, he, you know, I had my big wheelbarrow. He had his little wheelbarrow. We both had gloves and we both had, he had his little Wellingtons. And I'd come down in the morning, you know, and, and he's waiting. He go, Dave, this big smile, Dave. And all he wanted was out in the garden. Let's go, Dave. And he's handing me my shoes and my gloves. And he was just giving me pure love. Absolutely no conditions, unconditional love. And uh, it was then I decided to come back to Galway. And the last couple of years, um, but certainly, well, it's really at the beginning of COVID, my recovery took on a new outlook because. When I when the meeting, you know, when physical meetings stopped, I started looking online, and I came across Secular A, and particularly this sober without God, uh, really influenced by the secular approach of Jeffrey Munn, and uh, that that became my 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 home group. That's where I'm going at eight o'clock tonight, and. Um, my whole that that's where I'm at. That's that for me is the only game in town. And um 
I I had there was a lot of there was some crazy shit done by family towards me. And I know they're suffering and they're in grief, but it doesn't explain the behavior. But it resulted in me, I, I, I got an awful lot of anger. And, uh, you know, this is my, my, you know, I need to be able to express my anger, but I have to do it healthily. So, you know, I've been trying to work different ways of doing it. But I also know that being able, once I began to access that anger, that it becomes the gateway to something else that I have to go beyond. Like, what's beyond recovery? What's beyond AA? You know, it, it doesn't become the end point for me. And um, I'm, I'm drawn, it brings me, I didn't know this. I didn't want this. I wanted to go back and cause physical harm to people. Uh, you know, like the reaction after Luke died, I wanted to make sure these people paid for what happened, which is a very narrow viewpoint. And you know, when I looked at when I looked inside, when I looked at my heart, that doesn't work, Dave. So there has to be something else. And I started working with a mask, and I put I made this kind of horrible, angry mask. And um, the mask became my outwardly way of getting angry of, of and hiding behind it. But I, it, it allowed me as a channel to access what do I need with my anger? And the word came back, compassion. So I have to start working towards compassion even when I don't feel compassionate. It's easy for me to be grateful when everything is going right, to be grateful when everything is going fucking belly up. And I had to develop little tricks for myself, like how do I get into tomorrow when I hate, well, not hate, sorry, that's wrong. That's wrong. I have a lot of discomfort at nighttime, particularly going to bed. I haven't slept for a year and a half, really. I wake up quite often during the night. My sleeping is very disturbed. And I don't, it's it's not dread going to bed, but it's like, mm. but I do have something, I always, I, I, I love reading and I thought my first genre was science fiction. So I love going into space in bed. <laughs> and uh, I can get to sleep, but I will wake up through the night. And I thought, I'll work on this, but I also need to have a little act. I need to, the symbolism of doing something to give me hope for tomorrow. So what I do now is I have this little cup and I fill it with oats and I soak my porridge the night before. And that's my stepping stone into tomorrow. That's my act of hope for tomorrow. And um, that's what I need because, you know, I feel very alone in some ways and I feel um, I think fuck do I have to go through this again and it's like shit man you know it, it, I have no explanation for 
I don't believe in anything beyond reality. This, this, there's nothing personal in any of this. This is just fucking bad luck. This is life happening. This is what it's like in recovery. Shit happens. What do I do when shit happens? And the one, and, and what is it I don't do? Well, what I don't do is I don't pick up. And what I do is I go to, like I'm here tonight, I go to my connectedness. I go to my 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 family, my A family. And I say, I'm Dave. This is me. I'm an alcoholic. And this is what's happening. This is what's going on in my life. And this is what I'm trying to do with it. This is what I'm trying, I'm trying to work with what's happening in my life. And I'm being guided by something I learned in this connectedness. Uh, the 12 steps are signposts. They point me in a direction. They tell me, this is the way to go, Dave. This is, this, this, this is, now figure it out. You know, I don't have to figure out the 12 steps. I don't have to figure out the direction. You can imagine you go into a city you've never been or go to a place you've never been. And the first thing I start doing, if I'm looking for places, is I look up at the signposts and I see sometimes there's an image of the thing I want. If I'm in Paris and it's the Eiffel Tower and there's a signpost with the image of the Eiffel Tower, that's the way I have to go. That's the direction if I want to get to the Eiffel Tower. And all these signposts, the 12 steps, the meetings, the slogans, all these things, they all point me in a direction. And the direction is towards my heart, always. Uh, I can get sideways, you know, I can go off into a, a side street and I go into my head. And, um, but eventually I'll come back. I'll come back here to, um, to this. Because that's the most precious. My recovery, which is my heart, is the most precious thing I have. You know, um, it's where I come from. Now, and um, I, I, I'm very grateful to AA, you know. I know the two guys who started off were two egomaniacs in some ways. And... Uh, I like the the group I'm in, the Just for Today. Uh, sorry, the um, Sober Without God. You know, um, it's a twelve step. I've always gone to twelve step meetings. I love the secular approach. I love the idea of, yeah, I'm responsible now. This this is this is this is on me, and I I want I want I need help, and I'm prepared to work for it. And um, you know, as a group. We, we we form study, you know, for, for, for new people. There's no individual sponsorship. The group becomes the sponsor. And we, we, we run Jeffrey Munn's workbook. So there's no ego in here. It's it's the group and the group responsibility and the principles and the signposts. And we're all going in the one direction. We help each other. It's like, I know this is an online forum, but if we were in a room now, we'd all be sitting around in a circle and I'd be part of the circle. I'm part of something. Not alone am I, you know, am I part of something in my own life? I'm part of something beyond my own life that also feeds back into me. I'm in this positive feedback loop. My drinking, my, my, my drugging and my low esteem and how I felt about myself were all feeding the opposite way. 
and my recovery takes that and turns that energy the other way and gives me the opportunity where I can start to feel good about myself, that I can live with the pain I'm in. I can live with the agony and the loss and it's not going to kill me. Um, how long have I been talking for Jesus? For God's sake. That's the worst about, you know, you'll give me a chance. This is what I like about it. Some meetings, you know, 15 minutes and the, the, the secretary will say, would you shut up now, Dave? <laughs> Where I've been going on and on and on and I don't know really, um, you know, it doesn't matter. Thank you. Thank you for being here tonight to help me celebrate. You know, and thank you for bringing the message to me. And uh, thank you for showing me the love. And particularly at the times where I couldn't love myself. Well, I got all the emotional love. <laughs> I'll just thank you. And thank you for um, for being for being the vehicle that allowed me to to get my life back, to have a life, and uh, I like this a life, progressive life, you know, um, where what how how I grow inside and what I am as a person is more important than all the things or those external identifiers. If they come my way, well and good. If they don't, it doesn't matter. It's how I feel about myself. And uh, that's my recovery. So I'm going to leave it at that. Um, sorry for going on for so long.